We are the Early Career Research Forum with the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care. The focus of the ECRF is to provide members with opportunities to access peer and mentor support, develop links with senior researchers, participate in capacity building workshops, and share knowledge across disciplines. And I am Stacey Power-Walsh, Networking Officer for the Early Career Research Forum, and your host. We are delighted to be launching our ECRF podcast during Palliative Care Week 2020. If any of our listeners would like to become a member of the ECRF, subscribe free at www.professionalpalliativehub.com forward slash research forward slash ECRF. We are in keeping with this year's Palliative Care Week team in this together, recognizing that palliative care requires a broad range of professionals, family cares, and communities to support the person with the life-limiting diagnosis and those close to them. We have some really great podcasts lined up this week, from an interview with a person living with palliative care needs, a lecture in palliative care nursing, and an ECRF member and healthcare professional, and their experience of palliative care and COVID-19. We welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet our direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF. Today's podcast will present an Irish Cancer Society night nurse providing end-of-life care in people's homes. We are honoured now to be joined by Dr Mary Nevin, who we congratulate on recently being appointed as Assistant Professor at the School of Nursing DCU and who has also recently completed her PhD studies. Mary's PhD focused on non-specialist palliative care, specifically the importance of and the experiences of the delivery of palliative care by healthcare professionals who do not work within specialist palliative care services. This culminated in the identification of 32 core clinical indicators of hospital-based non-specialist palliative care, which can be used as a framework to support the integration of non-specialist palliative care at all levels of hospital care provision. And full disclosure, I am delighted to say that Mary is our excellent Vice Chairperson of the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care, ECRF Steering Committee. Welcome to our first ever ECRF podcast, Mary. Thank you, Stacey. Thanks for having me. Mary, can you give us a brief insight into your role in providing palliative care? I can, of course, Stacey. Um, I work as a night nurse with the Irish Cancer Society. So we provide end-of-life nursing care in people's homes, um, generally at night time from 11 o'clock until 7 o'clock in the morning. Very good. And what has been your experience of providing palliative care? And then I want you to kind of give it more specific then, what has been your experience during COVID-19? How has it changed the care you provide? Okay. Um, I suppose it's, it's been challenging. I think it has put a huge uh, amount of responsibility on fa- uh, families to, to look after their loved ones. Yeah. Um, before COVID, um, the patients that I would have looked after in the community um, would have been very well supported with a lot of uh, support structures at home and family caregivers to support, including relatives, uh, friends, uh, the, the wider community to yeah. support people to care for their loved ones at end of life at home. What I found working during COVID in people's homes was um, there was a huge shift in the dynamics in, in homes for people. 
mainly because families were, were doing their best to keep their loved ones out of hospitals and out of hospices at that time because they knew if their, if their loved one went in, um, they would not be able to see them and they may only get to visit them one hour a day and that may only be one family member allowed in. That put a huge emphasis on families wanting to care for their loved ones at home. But, you know, it also brought about additional pressures um, and with resources, it required a lot of the primary care teams and the hospices and the community palliative care teams to to activate their resources and try and support people as best they could. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about care in hospitals and care in nursing homes uh, during COVID, but there's a cohort of people that have been cared for at home during COVID. And I think there's been there's less being talked about. I think um, families have done a phenomenally immense job trying to manage care for people at home during this crisis. I think it's been very challenging. When I go into people's homes, um, caring for people at home can, is, is exhausting. It's full on, it's full time, it's emotionally exhausting, it's physically demanding, uh, financially and socially demanding, uh, and all those other elements as well. And during COVID, I have seen huge strain on carers because they haven't had the, the supports that they would normally have had from caregivers, from family members, and from healthcare professionals as well um, during COVID, trying to care for people at home. So people would have normally come in and visited where healthcare professionals like the GPs would have come in and visited now. It's tele, um, it's, it's tele communication, it's phone communication, and it's, it's more challenging. So... I think it's definitely something I've experienced looking after people in their homes. And um, it's, it's, um, I think it's been brilliant for people to, to help to, to allow their loved ones to die at home. But I think it's come at a cost for some families. I think it's been very challenging. Absolutely. So it really highlights the importance of the wider community almost in supporting people with palliative care needs and their families. Um, yes. It, yeah, it does. It, it definitely does. And, and, it has been a challenge for me as well, most definitely, because um, many of the conversations that I would have with patients, families and patients would be around, you know, trying to get the supports in and, and taking time out for yourself and caring for yourself and um, aspects that you would take for granted. And, and people just haven't been able to access a lot of their social supports during this time. And it's been very challenging. Also, yeah. delivering palliative care um, trying to have all the PPE on and, and when we, we, we've been very lucky with the Irish Cancer Society. We've been very, very well supported by them. When there was a lack of PPE in many hospitals and hospices, the Irish Cancer Society were doing a brilliant job in supporting and, and accessing um, PPE for, for the night nurses to get out to, to care for people in homes. You know, so I always Excellent. had gloves, apron, uh, a mask and a visor and goggles, depending if there was equipment that I needed to use that for. Um, so, it, but in, in, in and of itself, when you meet someone at, at home and you're at the door and you're wearing a mask, it, honestly, I took for granted an awful lot of the nonverbal cues yes. and my body language that would have been so, so important in how I give my care, not to yeah. mention the social distancing. And I suppose I think I took for granted the amount of therapeutic touch that I do use, yeah. the hand-holding, the gestures, the, the, the hugs, you know, simple things that... Um, are very, very important and, and it kind of felt that it created that distance and it was something that I have to, had to try and manage and find other ways to, to, to get that connection with family members. Yeah. We were also directed uh, um, as a, 
as a priority to try um, and not be in the same room as the patient for any more than 10 to 15 minutes at a time and try and stay in a separate room and come in regularly for safety. Um, that in itself was very challenging as well because I think one of the most important things at night time with someone who's dying when it's just me and them is to stay with them and be beside them and Absolutely. watch them closely and, and hold their hand and be present um, so they're not on their own. And I found that really, really challenging. I went into some houses and they were very good and provided me with a monitor, a baby monitor with a screen so I could watch the chest, I could watch the person from the other room. But there's no substitute for being physically present because yeah. I feel that I'm much more present in general then. Um, so they were all, yeah, there were certainly challenges. Um, families were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They were so relieved to see someone to come in and help and give them some relief from their care. Um, I was just about to ask that in a time where everything seemed to be telemedicine and everything was online, yeah. what difference do you think you made of actually being there for the family and being well, there for the patient? Was, yeah, that, that was, that was the major thing. Um, going out to houses during COVID, people were not having visitors or relatives. And I think they were just so relieved to see a face, to see another person um, come into their home um, they were unsure how to act. We were all unsure how to act at the start um, with masks on. We are, you know, patients, families were wearing masks in their own homes because I was there. And I, I suppose I was so conscious of that. When you go into someone's home, I just feel, you know, you, you absorb their values and their structures and their, and their ways of doing things. And suddenly they were being asked to, to, to be mindful of me. And it's something I never had to think about those risks as well. Um, mm -hmm. And we all sensitively, you know, try to manage our way through that. Um, but families, yeah, I, th I think families, I think as a society, um, people, we, we've lost a lot of people through COVID. A lot of families have not had the opportunity to say meaningful goodbyes to their loved ones. And I think that a lot of people will be grieving for a long time from this. And we need to think about our role as healthcare providers in I supporting agree. families to grieve. Um, Absolutely. And, and the repercussions. And you said something there that I'm really interested in. You said that you found other ways to connect with the person with palliative care needs and the family members. Can you give us an example of those other ways, you know, because they were so non-touch and distancing? Well, what I suppose one of the major things I did was we always have a, a telephone number for the patients before we go out. So I made several phone calls before I would go to a house because I knew when I arrived at the house, um, they would not be able to, to see my full face um, for most of the time. So I just wanted to get a good introduction of the phone, get a sense of their needs, their family dynamics, their loved one, the, the care needs. Um, so I feel I was building a rapport and a relationship over the phone before I even arrived. And also I told them over the phone what to expect when I arrived, okay. that they wouldn't feel intimidated or... Um, that they were prepared so that when I would arrive, I would arrive in scrubs that I would, I would need to wear a mask um, and gloves and an apron. And just gently asking, you know, about their house situation in the sense that, you know, would I need to have that um, donned in the driveway or in the front yes. door before I walk in or, or the layout of the house so that we could manage those things. Um, being in the house as well, um, I always try to spend time with the family, but I would do that in the sense, so I, I would just, you know, I, we would just make light of it. I would just say, look, I'd like to sit down and chat with you for a bit, but I'm just going to open a few windows or I'm going to open the back door and I'll sit at the back door and we'd have a chat for a bit. Yeah. Um, simple things like that. 
that tried to minimize um, the, the extent of, of what we were all feeling. Um, yeah. And um, just simple things like that were important. Communicating safely, I suppose, as safely as possible in the given circumstances. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, I think um, particularly when I was working back in, in April and May, those early days of COVID, yeah. there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of fear. We know more now, but, um, you know, I was very aware of the asymptomatic transmission. I was very aware of my risk to the family because I was yeah. going into different mm-hmm. houses. That was something that was very, um, very click, you know, it was very near in my mind. I was also very aware of my own family. I, my, my, ba- my baby was nine months in, in April when I started doing the COVID work. And I, I suppose I was very careful coming home and yeah. feeling that guilt that, you know, could I bring this home? Could I infect my own family? Trying to put measures in place that if I did become symptomatic, if I had somewhere else to isolate, and I did, I'd source somewhere that I could isolate outside the home. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard. It's very strange when you're trying to work and, and you have to start thinking of your own safety in those, uh, in, in those scenarios. It is challenging, yeah. yes. Yeah. And tell me, has there been any learning from providing palliative care during the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, I think we'd be silly not to, to look back and think about how we could have done things better and what we did very well and what we, we need to improve on. I think there's there's massive amount of learning that can happen. I think, first of all, I think COVID has made everyone think of their mortality a bit more than we would have before. I think there's no doubt. And I think that's the same for patients and it's the same for healthcare providers and the general population. What if and what would happen and what would I want are, are, are important questions. And I, I don't think there's anybody that hasn't on some level thought, well, what if I got this and I wasn't, unwe- I wasn't well and if, if I wasn't going to survive? So I think that it, it has ignited a conversation and I'm, I'm, I think that we need to run. I think we need to do more with that. I think yeah. as healthcare professionals and healthcare providers, I think that we need to think about having more conversations with the people that we care for around what their wishes are. I think providing palliative care is the responsibility of every single healthcare provider. It's part of my PhD. It is enshrined in, in healthcare policy and palliative care policy in Ireland in, and internationally. And I think uh, it's not something that's easy to do, to have difficult conversations. And it does require education. It does require training. But it also requires people to be um, self-aware and people to be willing to engage in difficult conversations. And I think that hopefully, um, I think COVID has brought the best out of a lot of healthcare practitioners in hospitals in all healthcare settings. And I hope that those experiences are not lost and we can learn from that and we can improve on our care because of it. Excellent. And you've kind of just touched on your own research. And I'm really interested in hearing how your research influences the palliative care you provide. Well, I am not a specialist in palliative care. So I work, um, I work within the Irish Cancer Society, um, Night Nurse Services. And the skills that I have gained have been through further reading and through my PhD studies. Um, but I believe that all healthcare professionals should have palliative care education as a core requirement of all undergraduate medicine, nursing, and all the healthcare disciplines training. I agree more. And I suppose if that's one thing for my PhD, I'm hoping to do is to strive in my teaching and my research to push that forward as an agenda um, for the education and training of nurses in particular. Um, so my research findings relate to education and training for all healthcare providers in a hospital setting. And I'm hoping, you know, 
um, to plan some research for feasibility and testing of my findings in, in hospitals to try and improve that for people as well. I think healthcare providers need a lot of support to be able to give palliative care. It's challenging, but um, it shouldn't be something that we do if we have time. It shouldn't be something we do if we have enough staff or if we have the right room. It should be essential um, for all providers to, to be able to give good palliative care. Um, and giving good palliative care means attending to the values and the priorities of your patient. Yeah. And if COVID has identified anything where it really was all hands on deck, um, that all healthcare professionals were caring for patients with COVID and who would have had palliative care needs, um, it is that the need for all healthcare professionals to be knowledgeable on palliative care and how to respond to patients with um, palliative care needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it required a lot of healthcare professionals, I think, to get outside their comfort zones. Yeah. Um, and I think um, on a physical level, a lot of people are, are getting more, have, have more experience now in, in physical palliative care symptoms, such as shortness of breath and pain and things like that. But Palliative care, we take a very broad conceptualization of pain. It, it includes existential, it includes psychological, social. So, I'm, you know, I would hope yeah. that, that um, we can work on those other aspects as well. Excellent. So being an early career research, researcher yourself, how have you managed to maintain both clinical practice and research? So you've just came out of a PhD, you're doing your night nursing. How do you manage it all? Well, I was very fortunate because I was able to um, work with some really, really good researchers and collaborators and my supervision team. And we put together a, um, a proposal and I was able to get full time funding for my PhD. So I, I was very fortunate in that situation that I've been three years to, um, working full time on my PhD and I've just finished it. Um, I literally just defended my, my PhD at Viva before the lockdown. Congratulations. Um, Thanks a million. But I, I also worked clinically throughout the PhD because um, I just I love my clinical practice. It's something that is, is so important to me. It enriches my teaching. It enriches my ideas around my research. And for me, it always places the patient at the center of, of why I'm doing my work. And that's what my motivation has always has always been. And that's why I enjoy it so much. So I think I've been very fortunate that I've been able to do some clinical practice uh, throughout my studies. And it's something that's very much encouraged in my role as a lecturer uh, in nursing as well in DCU. As I Fantastic. said, it, 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 it supports my teaching as well in my research. And I'm sure the listeners would agree with me. You can really get that from speaking with you now that is, your care is very much person-centred. Um, and it's just amazing that the clinical care you provide are so, is so evidence-based as well that you're so engaged in research and you can really hear that. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. Um, yeah. And yeah. any advice you'd give your younger you, so to enable you to provide palliative care and engage in palliative care research. So um, yeah. as a clinician, I think I remember doing my undergrad experience in palliative care and um, I found it a, quite a strange experience working in palliative care in the hospice in Rohini for those few weeks. I wouldn't say that you need life experience to work in palliative care. I certainly wouldn't say that at all, but I do think that you, to be a clinician in palliative care, you have to have a very good awareness of yourself, of your, um, your values and your, your ideas and, and your, your ideas about death, I suppose your ideas about life, but also self-awareness around your resilience strategies and things like that, because 
palliative care, while it is an absolute privilege to be allowed into someone's home and provide care when they're dying, it does take a toll as well. And it's really important to be um, to check yourself regularly and make sure that you're you're well and you're healthy and that you have the emotional energy to be able to give your patients when they need it. So um, and, you know, things like exercise, eating well, sleeping well, taking time out. All those things that we use in our world to, to de-stress ourselves are really, really important uh, for a career in palliative care, clinical yeah, practice, definitely. I think. Um, as a researcher, I would say um, ask loads of questions, you know, talk to people who've done it before you, who are experienced and who are willing to work with you and who are willing to hear your ideas and, and support you. I've been very, very fortunate that I've had brilliant people supporting me um, and when you get an opportunity, pay it forward. I'm hoping that I would be able to, to support other people in their PhD studies as well. Fantastic. So Mary, I would sincerely like to thank you for joining us today and sharing your experience of providing palliative care and particularly during COVID-19. And thank you for all your commitment to palliative care and in, in particular during this hard time. At the end of the day, it was a, a big personal um, undertaking with the whole fear around COVID-19 and your own family, the own risk you put yourself um, under. So I really want to thank you sincerely. And again, listeners, we welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet or direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF. From all of us at the ECRF, thank you for listening. If any of you early career researchers have your own research or an event you would like to share, I can be reached on Twitter at PowerStace or by email powerstace at hotmail.com. Thank you and goodbye.